Hello everyone and welcome once again to Motos and Friends, the weekly podcast brought to you by the editorial team at Ultimate Motorcycling. My name is Arthur Coldwells. In this week's first segment, senior editor Nick DeSena takes a look at the Ducati Desert X ADV bike. Powered by the same liquid-cooled V-twin motor as several other models in the Ducati range, the Desert X is another entry into the upper middleweight class of ADV machines. The big question, of course, is can the Desert X make its mark and differentiate itself from a growing field of competitors? Hmm. The second segment is the premiere of our new series of owner reviews. These are real-world opinions of machines owned by everyman riders. For this first one, I chat with my friend Dale Wagler. Dale is a former Marine and hardcore street and dirt bike rider. He recently acquired a new BMW 1250 GS Adventure, and he gives us his thoughts on the bike's positives and a few negatives too. If you'd like to be considered for a future Owner Reviews segment on an episode of Motos and Friends, please email us at producer at ultimatemotorcycling.com and tell us briefly about your bike. We'd love to hear from you. So, from all of us here at Motos and Friends, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, this one's been a long time coming. We saw the, the Desert X concept rather, at ICMA 2019, and it definitely stirred up the, the interest, we'll say, in the ADV category. And originally, that concept was sort of a derivative of the Scrambler platform. It featured an air-cooled engine, but it had all of the off-road fix-ins that you'd want in a middleweight adventure motorcycle. So it had long travel suspension, 21-inch and 18-inch rear wheels, wire spoked, of course, um, and to be even more particular, I think even on the, the concept, they were cross-spoked, so those were tubeless wheels, um, you know, and that, that was the original concept, and from concept to actual production bike, visually, they maintained a, a sort of vintage aesthetic, we'll say, that really, really harkens back to the heyday of the Dakar rally. So you have those dual headlights up front, kind of that 80s, 90s, um, you know, aesthetic, we'll say, for a lot of the Dakar bikes, the period. And Ducati does have some history in the Dakar rally in that uh, Kajiva was competing in the rally pretty seriously back then. And the Elephant uh, yeah. series which actually did claim um, a win using a, or I think there's more than one win in Kajiva's history, but with the Elephant in particular, there's definitely a Dakar win in there. And if we get our history correct and the way things line up, uh, Kajiva was actually uh, in business with Ducati. They owned Ducati at one point. And used Ducati power plants and the Kajiva Elephant used a Ducati engine to power itself to a win in Dakar. Um, now that goes back a long ways. So that's the connection with Dakar and Ducati and et cetera, et cetera. But when we kind of fast forward into the modern era, 
you know, Ducati did want to capitalize on some of that history. So you can see that represented visually in the Desert X's appearance, you know, the, the white plastics, that sort of uh, elongated, not elongated, but a, that large, you know, off-road style fuel tank, the dual headlights. Sure. Overall, it's taking an aesthetic choice that isn't common in the adventure category, which is, you know, easily more associated with beaks, we'll say. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the Desert X doesn't really do that. And it's already kind of sets itself uh, away from the herd in that regard. Now, when we're talking about, you know, functionality and features, well, that's when it does fall in line with the more aggressive side of the middleweight ADV category. So the Desert X is really hunting after true off-road performance. And that means it's going up against the likes of the KTM 890 Adventure R, the Aprilia uh, Touareg 660, uh, Yamaha Tenere T7, the Husqvarna 901 Norden, um, and bikes of that ilk. Okay, so that's a pretty broad spectrum. And on one end, you know, you have the affordable side with the Yamaha T7. Uh, it's also a much different uh, engine displacement. And then you kind of go into the, the Aprilia Torx 660, a bit more expensive, more features, but still relative horsepower and capacity. And then we start moving into the 890 Adventure R, the Ducati Desert X, um, <clears throat> your Triumph Tiger 900 Rally Pros, you know, the upper echelon of this, of this class. And that's really what the Ducati Desert X is kind of stacking up against, because of course, the Desert X is equipped with a liquid-cooled 937cc twin-cylinder engine. It has long-travel suspension that's up to snuff with the rest of the class. And, of course, you have cross-spoked 21-inch front and 18-inch rear wheels. Again, that's really, on paper, just putting it into that off-road bias into the ADV spectrum already. So that's what we're talking about today. Sure. Okay. So um, does this share an engine with uh, other models such as like the Hypermotard and, and those kind of things? Precisely. So it is the 937cc Testostretta 11 degree engine. And what really stands out to me in the Desert X is the fact that this power plant is extremely versatile. You know, we do know it from the Hypermotard 950, the Supersport 950, the Multistrada V2, and of course the, the Ducati Monster. So it's in four different platforms already and then you have the sub models within those platform families so a lot of bikes are powered by this engine now we do know that this engine produces a claimed 110 horsepower and 68 foot pounds of torque which is more than ample for off-roading because the more horsepower you have in the dirt uh, doesn't necessarily equate to performance it usually just means wheel spinning madness and <laughs> Yeah. things can go south pretty quickly. I mean, the reality is in low grip situations, you need to be able to use power in a you know, meaningful way. It's the same reason why when we talk about the Multistrada V4, when you select that, um, that off-road map with that, that super powerful engine, it cuts the power to, if I'm remembering my spec sheet properly, it's it's in that, that 100 horsepower range, despite the fact that that engine produces a lot more <laughs> right. rear wheel. Um, so 
you know, spec sheet saber rattling aside, more power does not equal more fun in an off-road capacity. Okay. No. So obviously they needed to change a handful of things to get this engine ready for the trail. The thing is they didn't really change as much as you might expect. So obviously it has a model specific intake system because well, it's not a street bike, it's completely different chassis, uh, different, you know, different platform altogether. Okay, cool. Also has a different airbox and model specific tunings as well. Um, we're gonna talk about the six different ride modes in a minute, but we'll get there. Now, the main thing that they did change wasn't just final drive gear ratios, which are different from the other models, but we're talking about internal gear ratios. So the transmission itself has been shortened significantly in gears first through fifth. And really what that does is allow the engine to spin up a lot easier and get into what I'll call that pick-me-up, really get into that torque a lot easier than say some of the street models. Now, not that you'd actually notice that on the street bikes, but when you're in those off-road situations, riding the Desert X at super low RPM, having that lower gearing, you're able to spin the motor up and get into the power pretty much on demand. Now that's super helpful at those lower speeds. So. As we translate that to a road experience, how does that work, you'll ask? Well, it doesn't really make the engine feel like it's strained or you're constantly over-revving it. So despite the fact that first gear is something like, like over 14% shorter compared to the Multistrada V2, um, and second gear is also significantly shorter uh, by, a, by a pretty hefty margin as well, um, you're not really in, in those situations where you're kind of straining at uh, freeway speed. It's only first and second gear, so... Well, I mean, it's first through fifth are shortened. However, you know, first, first and second gear are probably shortened the, the most amount. Okay, so it's slightly shorter gearing, but, uh, but once you get up into the higher gears, it's going to be less noticeable. Yeah, for sure. And then, of course, six gear is your overdrive gear. If you're on the freeway or you're in a canyon where you can just carry a, a solid pace, you just pop it in there and good to go. And you'll, you'll still get decent gas mileage. Now, importantly, with these, uh, this recent update, because this is the, the newest um, model that the Tesla Strut 11 degree engine is featured in, it also benefits from the updates that have occurred uh, over the years with the Monster and Multistrata V2. So it has the latest iteration of their eight disc assistance slip, slip clutch, as well as a uh, bearing mounted gear drum, just improves shifting actuation. Um, so again, this, is, this engine has evolved for uh, a, a few years now. Uh, I think the first time that I sampled it was on the Super Sport back in 17, and it's definitely had a, a good amount of updating since then. Um, appreciable changes, we'll say. But that said, as far as just straight up riding experience, what's that like? Okay, you have your six different riding modes. Now, you have sport, touring, urban, and wet. Those are for the street. And then you have your two off-road modes, enduro and rally. Now, sport is, as you'd expect it from a brand like Ducati, that is the sportiest of the bunch. However, I wouldn't really characterize it as being 
the most uh, most in line with its other street models, we'll say. It's sporty in an ADV context. So it's definitely applicable to the road, but probably not as sharp-edged as, say, a Monster or a Multistrada V2 or a Hyper. Okay, cool. Doesn't matter. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. And it, it's, a, it's a happy medium. Right. And that, that gives you access to all of your other uh, rider aids, which are, is pretty much par for the course for Ducati models at this point. Um, you have four engine power modes, uh, three-level cornering ABS, eight traction control modes, four wheelie control modes, engine braking management. You, of course, have the up-down quick shifter and cruise control. Now, everything is customizable within those different ride modes. So you could take wet and turn the nannies off, do whatever you want. Okay, cool. <laughs> okay. But at a baseline, that's what we're talking about here, just so everyone has a default reference. Now, Touring kind of cuts that a little bit. It just kind of cuts the throttle response. So you still get full power of the engine. Then Urban and Wet do cut peak horsepower a little bit. They go into some of those other engine power modes that we mentioned. Um, and really, that just kind of takes the edge off. Um, but that said, when I was on the street, I pretty much just left it in sport mode because it's a really good middle ground. I'd say if you're in different conditions, you can mess with the other modes. But in the dry Southern California conditions, I was totally happy with sport. So it's very energetic. With that shorter gearing, you can really get off the corners um, with, with some serious gusto, we'll say. <laughs> right. You know, and it doesn't go over your head, too. It's, a, it's an engine that's widely accommodating, which is a characteristic that we already knew from riding it in other iterations. But what I'll say is that it does suit itself well to this ADV, you know, aim. And... It's just a fun engine. It's right in that sweet spot for horsepower for me. In my opinion, I think that 110 to about 125 horsepower can really go a long ways where you're never feeling wanting on the performance end of the spectrum. You know, you're like, oh, you know, I wish I had some more power for the freeway or when I'm really getting after it in the canyons. I never, ever once thought that when riding this engine on the street. And you might think that when you're on some true middleweights, you know, say things that are actually in the 650 CC region, sure. you know, when you're on those long highway slogs, sometimes you can just be spinning the engine up for an extended period of time. And the thing's definitely working. That's not the case here. It's totally happy to hum along at freeway plus speeds, we'll say <laughs> with no issues. Now, one quick thing while we're on the subject of the engine is that the air filter is located underneath the fuel tank. So owners need to be aware of that and be prepared to, you know, dive into the bike a little bit. Sure. So it says essentially, you know, go, go see your dealer if you want, want to do that. So nobody's quite sure how easy or how difficult it is to clean the air filter, but, uh, but I guess that'll, that'll come out at a later point. Yeah. So I was looking at it. And, you know, we, we've all pulled our fuel tank to clean air filters before. Um, usually on a street bike, that means you have to pull the fairings, lift up the fuel tank or remove it. And when you pull off the seat, like there's nothing really on this bike. So in terms of fairings, well, there's like not much going on, but that you still have to lift the fuel tank. And I, I haven't done it, so I don't entirely know what's under there. 
so it may or may not it may or may not be a relatively um, easy operation but um, it definitely deserves a little bit of further investigation certainly if somebody's going to use this bike a lot off-road yeah yeah because you know the the other the middleweight bikes they they have like you know it's either under seat or there's it's like kind of on top of the fuel tank or in the africa twins case it is under the fairing but it's on the it's on the right side okay it's not under the fuel tank it's like under the fairing okay and then there's also the off-road side that we need to talk about because again it's kind of two bikes in one that's that's the whole appeal of adv riding you kind of do whatever you want but with a 21 inch front wheel that's fairly committed to off-road stuff uh yeah you can you can definitely make that argument and i think a couple years ago that argument would be set in stone the thing that's really interesting and we should now we'll edge our way into that is you know the the chassis and the, the street riding experience is emblematic of a Ducati. It is emblematic of a, an Italian sport motorcycle manufacturing brand. Because what they've done here is create quite possibly one of the best handling middleweight 80 even motorcycles on the market. Wow. And that's not some saying, I'm not saying that to fluff the brand. I think they've just really done their homework in terms of chassis development and made a 21 inch wheeled motorcycle feel more relative to its 17 inch wheel sporting brethren. Now, if you did a back-to-back -back comparison, of course, a bike boasting 17 inch wheels is going to have, you know, more mechanical grip and things like that. And it'll be better for the street, right? But the thing is they've done something really impressive here with the, the Desert X and so when you're using those ride modes and you're, you're, you're kind of feeling it out for the first time and you tip into the turns, you're like, wow, this thing really does handle well. And I'm getting good edge grip because stock were running the Pirelli Scorpion STR rally tires, which uh, I want to say are road biased, but still chunky enough to where you get good grip off road. In most cases, there are some complaints I have about them that kind of longstanding, but We'll get to them when we talk about the off-road. So even with a 21-inch front wheel, it still turns in well on the street and, and, and feels good on the street. It still feels agile on the street. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And so that's the thing. It's, it's not just agile. It's incredibly planted. And when you look at the geometry numbers, they've gone for things that on the ADV spectrum, you'd be like, oh, okay. So they're really focusing in on trying to make this a stable motorcycle. It has a pretty hefty wheelbase one of the longer in the class, 63.3 inches, a nice long rake, 27.6 degree inches, hefty amount of trail, 4.8 inches. That's actually some of the bigger dimensions in the class overall. And I, I, think, I think it might be one of the longest wheelbases in the class, if not the longest, but I'd have to double check that. But it's definitely on the longer side. Interesting. That said, okay. that's where a lot of that stability comes from. And you're like, okay, well, you know, it handles well. It still, it still feels light on the street, very light steering. It tips in well. It doesn't feel like a, like the weight bias is held up high because you're still carrying 5.5 gallons of fuel and it's not using a fuel tank uh, relative to the 890 Adventure R that distributes some of the fuel down low where it has the, the fuel extensions, we'll say. 
uh, they kind of flank the motorcycle on each side. It uses a more traditional style fuel tank. Okay, so it doesn't feel top heavy, it handles really well on the street, and it's a 21 inch, or you know, it's a motorcycle that uses a 21 inch wheel and it weighs a claimed 492 pounds, which is definitely on the heavier side for the class. Okay. But it handles, in my opinion, probably one of the best in the class on the street side. You know, I think a, a close reference point would be something like the Aprilia Touareg 660. And no surprise, it's the two Italian brands that build the best handling, you know, ADV motorcycles on the road. Okay, cool. The brands with all of the road racing pedigree, we'll say. Um, now, moving on from that, you know, and kind of talking about the, the off-road modes as well, and we can talk about the off-road handling, you know, you have the enduro and rally modes. Okay, so what do those do? Basically, that's going to bump down your nannies to off-road suitable settings, okay? Enduro is going to chop things down to 75 peak horsepower, again, using those different power modes for the engine. It's going to take things down with ABS level two and also bump the TC down dramatically. Now, this is when we can talk about a couple other systems that Ducati has really worked on here. I think they learned a lot from the Multistrada V4 launch a number of years ago, probably that was what, 2020, um, really improved their TC mappings for the off-road side of things as well. Uh, doesn't cut in prematurely. You can really bump those levels down and see an appreciable step between them. You can also disable them completely if you want to. Same thing for ABS. Uh, ABS off-road settings, you have three ABS modes total. Uh, three uses an IMU, so you have cornering ABS. Two and one are your off-road specific ABS modes. So they retain ABS in the front with a dedicated off-road setting, which means you can haul some ass through the dirt, grab the front lever, and nothing is going to happen. And I've tested this multiple times and pretty blown away by the ABS on the Desert X. Um, as well as you know some of the other competitors, but the Desert X, the KTM, I would say those are probably the best in terms of off-road ABS. Now, the differences between Enduro's ABS level two and Rally's ABS level one, ABS level two is gonna modulate the rear brake slide. So it still retains ABS in the rear, while as ABS level one just kills it completely. And that's going to come down to preference. I actually used ABS level one pretty frequently because when I'm riding off-road, I tend to use the rear brake to change the angle of the bike, especially at low speeds, just to do little skids and just shift my trajectory. That's something that I do a lot. However, I think people that are getting into riding off-road are really going to enjoy that enduro road, uh, enduro mode for a number of reasons. One, it's going to cut peak horsepower. It chills that V-twin engine out quite a bit. You still get all of that torque that we're looking for in, in, in a twin cylinder engine. However, you're not going to just get that sort of modern Ducati top end rush quite as extreme. So it really, really calms things down and still keeps it at an exciting level. And again, think back to what we mentioned before with riding off-road. More power does not necessarily mean more fun. 
It can mean more brown trouser moments. That's 100% sure. But a lot of the times you want to have a controlled, very smooth and calculated, uh, you know, throttle motion versus whacking it wide open and spinning up the rear and kind of losing grip, we'll say. And that's that really comes into play when you're in those technical situations, low speed stuff, and or doing hill climbs, right? So, you know, when you're on a, on a fast fire road, something like that, where you can just hold it wide open and spin up the rear and slide around like a total badass because it's fun, you know, that, that's where, you know, more power, more fun makes sense. So it sounds to me as though rally is like a, a slightly gentler mode than enduro. Other way around. So the other way around. Okay. Yeah, so and that's in, what we're about to get into. So rally. Okay. Pulls out all the stops. You get the full 110 horsepower, 68 foot pounds of torque. Oh, wow. Okay. And then it also bumps it down into the least uh, aggressive ABS mode and TC goes along with it. So I think it defaults to TC2. I remember okay maybe tc3 doesn't matter anyway i found myself using tc one and two a lot and turning it off just to kind of see the engine's tractable enough to where you could definitely control it you're an experienced rider you could find your way i ended up using tc levels one and two just because they still allow plenty of leeway you know sliding around doing whatever you want and i think it'll also be a good building block for riders that are getting into the ADV market, understanding, you know, grip, how it comes in and out when you're riding off-road. So rally mode, to reiterate, that's your full power mode. Cool. Right. The thing is, as fun as it is, I think more people would be better off kind of swallowing their pride a little bit and using the enduro mode. And I say this of any motorcycle that has, you know, the, the full zoot off-road modes like the, the 890 adventure r has them uh, the tiger rally pro you know etc cetera, etc cetera. a lot of the times you're better off using the the mode <laughs> that cuts a little bit of power because again it just chills things out you don't need all that power off-road although that said it is absolutely ripping fun when you can use it and if you have the skills and the chops to use it then have fun man your photos are going to be awesome um <laughs> I'm just saying that Ducati is catered to both ends of the spectrum here. Now, that's before we even talk about the handling off-road and suspension, which is probably what we should get into. I'm a little bit confused about just the ABS on things. Both modes have ABS on the front um, to varying degrees, and one mode has no ABS at the rear, and the other one has some ABS at the rear. Yeah, and... And that's just by default settings. So Enduro mode is going to default to ABS level two. That's going to keep ABS in the front with an off-road specific map, obviously. Right. And then a... A bit of ABS on the rear. Yeah. And it allows you to kind of modulate a slide. So it, it'll lock intermittently um, and not for an extended period of time. It's sort of like this little... And a slide as well. So it, it's interesting and definitely advantageous for riders that that are, that are getting their feet wet off-road, okay? Now, when you put it in rally, that's when it bumps it down to ABS level one. And again, that deletes ABS completely in the rear, maintains that off-road ABS specific map in the front. There you go. 
Now, advanced riders can take things even further, and there's a button on the left-hand... Uh, Handlebar. Yes. <laughs> um, where you can disable ABS completely at the touch of the button. Wow. Important thing on that, that's the only setting that will revert to default when you turn off the bike. So you can go into any of the ride modes and customize these 100%, which is something Ducati does across the board with all their models. And I applaud them for doing that. When brands give you full customization, we need to highlight it and point it out because some brands don't and it sucks. Just gonna leave it there. ABS, killing ABS completely is the only setting that doesn't retain once you shut off the bike. So do whatever you want, but if you want to kill ABS completely, then there you go. And the only times I would kill ABS is in a pretty, pretty few or a few specific scenarios. I'd say if you're doing a pretty tricky yeah. descent, so some sort of rocky descent where you really need to stop, maybe put your foot down, get some get some bearings to things like that. So something really, really technical and downhill. That's when I would start thinking about disabling ABS just because when you're rolling a, you know, several hundred pounds motorcycle downhill, I don't care if it's a Ducati, a KTM, a Triumph or whatever, ABS tends to um, not be fans of hitting loose rock when you're going downhill. And you end up with no brake. In those sort of extreme situations, you will need to think outside the, the box a little bit. Sure. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for clarifying that. So we were going to talk about the, uh, the suspension, which I'm very intrigued about, the suspension and handling on this package. Yeah. So we've mentioned the handling on the street, and the suspension definitely plays a part where it doesn't feel like this big, wallowy beast. And again, some of the ADV motorcycles or middleweight ADV motorcycles and even older leader class ADV bikes for that matter with the long travel suspension can often feel a little bit ungainly. You know, they feel like a long, tall motorcycle that, well, is meant to be in the dirt. And that's not the case here. So overall, if you want to use a buzzword, you're probably going to call the fully adjustable KYB suspension plush. And on the surface, you go, oh, I don't know if I want plush suspension. You do. <laughs> now you have nine point inches of travel in the rear, or sorry, nine point inches of travel in the front, 8.7 or so. Those are rounded numbers uh, in the rear. So pretty ample suspension travel. Uh, I think the KTM has a little bit more at, at each end. And then I think the Yamaha is about on par. Can't remember doesn't matter. Anyway, point is, it's more than in the realm for this class. You have true long travel suspension. And on the street, you need long travel suspension that isn't going to make the bike feel like it's pitching forward when you're on the brakes or squatting unnecessarily when you get on the gas. It does not feel like that. They've done a really good job with developing valving and damping to create a very controlled motorcycle. So remember that stability I was talking about earlier, the agility, all of those things are really complementary. Now, what people are really gonna wanna hear about in terms of off-roading 
is how the suspension handles when you're actually off the tarmac. Because generally, you're not slamming into rocks at 30 miles an hour on the street. And if you are, that's a much bigger problem that we need to discuss later. Um, <laughs> right. That said, that plushness, that's a huge benefit. Um, it soaks up things nicely. You still get good traction where it's creating you know, a good contact patch. The wheel's always maintaining grip with the road. At least it feels that way. Who knows on video because you're always getting bounced around anyway. Um, <laughs> and then you have the 21-inch and 18-inch uh, wheel setup. So again, that doesn't take away from the road riding experience. On the, on the off-road side, you can roll over different obstacles much, 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 much easier. You can run off-road bias tires, which we are. We're using the Pirelli the Scorpion Rally STR tires, good chunky tires. And in you know drier California conditions, they do hook up nicely. Okay. Um, I would say my complaint, my longstanding complaint with the Rally STR specifically is um, edge grip in the front off-road can be a bit tough. So in those sandy conditions or say wet slash muddy things, you can lose some of that edge grip in the front. Whereas some of the competitors, like say, you know, the more aggressive Michelin um, Anakis and things like that don't really have that, that issue. However, the Pirellis are really good on the street. So right. you're always trying to find that balance, right? Um, and uh, there's a million other tire options out there. And with how good, you know, tires have become in this segment, you can find something that's not going to give you much of a compromise. You know, you can go full street or some pretty heavy duty off-road stuff that is going to have fat knobbies that will compromise your, your street experience because they're flexing and, you know, on the road. But when you get in that dirt, oh, it's going to be amazing. Anyway, <laughs> suspension. It's plush. It soaks up everything nicely. You have that really controlled damping. And again, it's fully adjustable. So you're going to need to set this bike up for you, your riding style. If you ride it, you know, box stock and it's not set up for you, then it's probably not going to be the best experience. And I say that of any motorcycle. When we talk about riding off-road, I really want to hammer down the point that you need to set up your bike in some sort of direction for you, your conditions, your weight, everything. Now, having done that for myself, that's where that plushness really benefits because it doesn't, it doesn't feel harsh when you're hitting that fast-paced stuff. You know, at my stiffness settings, I would say I'm sort of on the cusp where if I went beyond that, then I would start feeling like it was a bit more harsh ride. But I'm, I was right in that spot where I was still doing, doing pretty good. And, you know, it's supportive enough to where even if you do hit the bump stop, say through a heavy G out, you know, you slam through a rut or you're doing a hill climb and you jump ruts or something like that, or just hit, you know, a big rock and some loose silty stuff. Even if you hit the bump stop, the bike doesn't snap up at you, which is super important. Uh, some motorcycles can do that. That's good. Yeah. But that big wheelbase, that long rake, that all translates super well off-road because the thing tracks really nicely. You can come into corners and get good front end grip and load the front end as you'd like to. And then as you're gassing out of it, really have a nice controlled slide. So you're going to be leaning on those electronics, depending on your skill level. And 
you know, using that geometry to your advantage. And again, you're not going to have this very seesaw-y kind of, you know, ungainly motorcycle underneath you because that suspension keeps everything taut, bound up nicely. So that's what you got going on there. It sounds really impressive. I mean, the whole bike sounds sounds really good and it sounds like you were very impressed. I guess that sort of begs the question for me as to where do you see this bike fitting in the market? I mean, the market's getting pretty crowded in this kind of, you know, upper middle weight, you know, category, um, including, of course, Suzuki now coming out with their 800 parallel twin motor and the new the new versions of the V-Strom. So this is getting category is getting quite crowded. Where do you see the Desert X kind of fitting in this category? Well, based on initial rides and, you know, without doing a straight up comparison, having ridden the clear majority of the middleweight ADVs, I can comment on some of that stuff. Okay. So what I'll say is we'll talk about the seating position in relation to some of the other bikes and the suspension and things like that. But th this will make sense. Like, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. We have a 34 inch seat height or 34.4 inch seat height, which is pretty tall. Right. It doesn't matter right. how you shake and bake that number. That's sizable. Right. Thing that Ducati has done is one, they've used an engine configuration that can accommodate a very narrow chassis. Okay. That's a pretty tried and true characteristic for Ducati overall. Sure. You know, thin motorcycle. Cool. Right. That helps you get your boots on the deck. Now I have a 32 inch inseam and I can still touch the ground. The other thing that they've baked into that suspension that we've already kind of hammered home. So they've engineered a little bit of squish in the very tip top of the stroke, just to give you that extra ability to get your feet down. So you have a thin motorcycle or sorry, a narrow motorcycle that you can actually touch the ground on. Okay. So when you really look at the extreme ends of the middleweight ADV category, I, I'm just going to say it, the KTM 890 Adventure R, I can't do that. I can't actually touch both of my feet to the ground unless I'm on the actual tippy toes with my boots. Generally, when I ride the 890 Adventure R, I have to side saddle like I'm on a dual sport. Okay. Okay. So that's at one extreme. And then you have stuff like the Tenere, which also I would, I would, have the same observation. It's super tall. It feels super tall. And when you ride the Ducati Desert X, you're like, on paper, it's tall. It feels tall when you're standing in the foot pegs and, and you're, you're kind of riding off road and you're doing what you're doing, but you can still manipulate it. You can still manipulate it in those treacherous conditions, those low speed conditions, a little bit easier. Yeah. And yeah, it doesn't feel like a 492 pound motorcycle on the street right but invariably any motorcycle in this class when they get loose in the dirt suddenly you are reminded that yes they are motorcycles that are in that 400 pound spectrum right. and it's very exciting yeah that's quite interesting i mean it seems like the v-twin you know layout has a little bit of an advantage over a parallel twin layout because uh last last week's podcast with uh with don on the ktm super adventure r he made exactly this comment that the bikes are v-twin and it is really narrow 
And so it's easier to touch the ground. It's easier to manipulate the bike and control the bike when you're standing on the foot pegs because it's narrow. Yeah. And you've just said exactly the same thing about the Desert X. Yeah. And so clearly that the difference between a V-twin engine and, and a parallel twin engine is just that tad more narrow, which helps narrow the seat, which, you know, so on. Yeah. And, you know, a parallel twin might be able to tighten things up front to back. So you might be able to create a more compact motorcycle, we'll say. Sure. Uh, short twin cylinder, yeah. V-twin, L-twin, whatever you want to call it. That cylinder is going to push forward. Naturally, that's going to elongate the package, yada, yada, yada. Okay, whatever. The fact is you're sitting on this bike and you go, okay, it feels good to ride just riding down the road. I stand at five foot, 10 inches. So I think if you're in that five, eight, to 510 range, you're basically in the sweet spot for this motorcycle because right. it does have a non-adjustable windscreen. Um, and you know, that's that's one of my my complaints about this motorcycle is it's non-adjustable. A lot of the other manufacturers do do have adjustability. Okay, cool. Wish we were there, but there's also a touring windscreen. Now on the flip side, it does add complexity to that whole front end. Uh, fairing area and this bike just doesn't have that it's pretty open so right whatever you know so the seating position works on the street like okay cool off-road you know it has the foot pegs uh that are grippy you have these handlebars that come up and meet you you can distribute your weight over the front end and get some good feedback through the chassis in those low grip situations okay that works really well too so kind of getting into the spectrum of where this bike sits I think the middleweight ADV category as a whole, it's not like a motocross comparison where the motocross bikes are all achieving the same exact thing, which is spin the fastest laps on a supercross track or a motocross track as fast as possible. All the bikes in the middleweight category, in my opinion, do something a little bit different from the other one. So, okay. The Ducati Desert X seems to be striking a really good balance in terms of its capabilities. Okay. It's not as touring oriented as say any of the Multistrada's been have been in the past. Sure. It has all of the all of the features and hardware to really tackle off-road riding. Again, we have long travel suspension, 21 inch and 18 inch wheels. Okay. It performs admirably off-road, performs amazingly on the street. Okay, cool. You know, you can't make some of those observations as some of the other bikes in the class. Um, it has an, an incredibly competent electronics package up there with the upper echelon of the class, the KTMs, the Triumphs, et cetera, et cetera. And so you really got to look at it as a whole and be like, what am I going to be doing specifically? And I think the Desert X is really kind of nailing that, that sort of, you know, uh, Swiss army knife okay. um, approach. And again, the electronics, you know, you have the up-down quick shifter, the only sort of, you know, on the street, you can wail on that thing, you know, in the canyons on off-road settings, it's really helpful just to kind of click through gears and do whatever you want. The only sort of, you know, minor criticism of that is it can be a bit notchy at, you know, medium throttle openings, low to medium throttle openings, um, on the street specifically. And I'd say it's probably because of those really tight gear ratios in the first part of the gearbox. 
Um, and then you can get a little something when you transition, transition from fifth to sixth. And I think it's because of the, the step in terms of ratios from fifth to sixth. And there's a lot of talk out of a V-twin motor that makes it more challenging to, to have a quick shift to smooth. Yeah. So, you know, super low gearing plus a lot of torque. Okay. Um, Off-road, that's not an issue because you're, you're dealing with a wheel slip and that hides a lot. Um, so it's just not a thing. Okay. So again, you, you gotta kind of look at this overall and be like, well, the Desert X is playing with the KTMs, the 901 Nordens, right. the, the Husqvarna's, the, the Triumphs. That's where it's playing with. You know, the, right. the bikes that come into conversation for sure, but aren't really directly comparable in terms of price, performance, displacement, are the Yamaha T7 and the Aprilia Touareg 660. Uh, I should also mention the BMW 850GS, but if I'm just blunt, it doesn't really play with these bikes on a meaningful level off-road. So it's just not in the conversation. In my opinion, someone can disagree and I'll just say they're wrong. So <laughs> okay. Last thing we should probably touch on is the brakes. We hammered home the ABS. Uh, they are using Brembo M50 calipers. And if you think back to super bikes from a couple of years ago, that's what we found on them. Sure. Cool. 320 rotors up front. It is not a radial master cylinder. It is an axial master cylinder, which I think is a much better choice for a motorcycle that's going to be doing a lot of off-road work. Really takes that edge off of braking performance. And when you're in those low grip situations, you don't necessarily want brakes that are just going to bite super aggressively right because you can either lock the front wheel uh, which you can't with abs however you can definitely trigger abs with super aggressive brakes yeah yeah and if you're in sand things like that it just makes modulating it more difficult with more aggressive brakes it's it's why you don't see dual sport bikes a lot of the time and i'd say like 95 percent of the cases with radial master cylinders Sure. Now, some Ducati EC might be like, oh, well, that's not what they usually put on bikes. That's true, but there's a reason. Now, in the rear, I'd say you get good modulation. There is some sweep in that, that lever. You can, you can adjust that to your own abilities, and you can also flip the brake pedal up and down uh, for height when you're standing off-road, uh, which is super cool. Nice little feature, toolless. You just pull the thing out, flip it up, and then put it back in. Totally cool. Um, now the other thing that I really want to mention before we kind of move on. And so there are no like true S models of the desert X or whatever. They have a ton of curated packages. So they have, uh, packages like the sport touring rally and off-road packs, which come with different accessories. You can buy all these accessories individually, but if you go to a dealer, you can ask for a pack, right? That makes sense. Yeah. And so without spending too much time on that, we had like most of the off-road pack. In fact, I think we had all of the off-road pack plus a handful of other extra little items. And what I really want to hammer home here is the crash protection. When you look at the bash guard, which is 500 bucks, you look at the crash bars, radiator guards. So, you know, radiator screens, road racing guys will know what that means. And the oil cooler screens, all that stuff is beefy. And right. you generally do not get that OEM. I mean, you, if you're a hardcore off-road guy, you're probably going to have to look at the aftermarket. And 
generally that's what you have to do with you know the ktms and the tigers and things like that they have crash protection but the bash guards is where they're lacking right now and the aftermarket you know has picked up the slack and they offer some serious stuff that bash guard is no joke um because i used it uh so on the desert x it's no joke oh yeah that thing is no joke that is a a serious piece of kit right there and it's is a little surprising to see it from an oem right okay good and so you're like people like oh it's 500 bucks well that is i'd I'd buy that over i I don't see the aftermarket doing anything better i say that to my own peril because i guarantee an aftermarket company will do something that's you know just as good but if you're looking to get out of the gate right now and do some pretty serious off-roading and have protection, you have the equipment to go and do it. So that's a big plus. And again, like I said, a lot of the times we don't get that sort of meaty crash protection right out of the gate uh, from a lot of manufacturers. Um, sure. Uh, and then, you know, pricing. Okay. So M- base MSRP for this bike is going to be $17,095. Uh, that is at the upper end of the spectrum in terms of the class, the Triumph Tiger 900, uh, the Rally Pro is up there. Um, it's on par with the pricing wise, but again, you're playing in that upper echelon. And the, the Ducati does kind of have the advantage and disadvantage in terms of timing where it is the newest motorcycle to the class. So they've had time to study the rest of the market and build their bike to perform against those motorcycles but it's also the newest. So it has the freshest price tag associated with it. That's just the way it is. Um, You know, that said at 17 grand, you're getting a motorcycle that performs very well on the street, very well off-road. You have plenty of accessories uh, to really help you with whatever your goals may be as a rider, whether you're just going to ride around sport touring or you're actually going to do some serious off-roading. Okay. And really, I, I think Ducati has absolutely nailed the street riding capabilities of this motorcycle. And to their credit, they've done a very good job with the off-roading stuff as well. You know, again, I'm not this crazy off-road guy, but the reality is this thing handled everything I could throw at it, which, you know, isn't much if we're being honest. But, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where it does incredibly well, and I think it's going to appeal to a pretty wide spectrum of users. So, you know, handful of little gripes in terms of, yeah, I wish I could change my TC on the fly from the dash, but the UI doesn't configure that. There's a little bit of heat from the engine, but we kind of know that with this engine already because we've seen it on other models. Okay, whatever. The quick shifter, eh, you know, it's a little a little abrupt at those lower RPMs and it doesn't have an adjustable end screen. That's a pretty short list of, you know, hardcore gripes right for a, a new platform and that means ducati did their homework well um sounds like a sounds like a really an exceptional machine they've really um come up with a good balance of stuff so kudos to ducati yeah yeah i mean the true test is going to be when it stacks up against the competition but like i said my opinion is that the middleweight adv category is doing a whole lot of different things and for a whole lot of different people. So it really just depends on where you want to go and how far you want to go into it. Yeah, sounds great. Okay. 
hey i appreciate your time and insight as always um sounds like a great bike i'll look forward to talking to you soon all right cool later This second segment is the first in our new series of owner reviews. These are real-world opinions of machines owned by everyman riders. For this first one, I chat with my friend Dale Wagler. Dale is a former Marine and hardcore street and dirt bike rider. He recently acquired a new BMW 1250 GS Adventure, and he gives us his thoughts on the bike's positives and a few negatives too. If you'd like to be considered for a future Owner Reviews segment on an episode of Motos and Friends, please email us at producer at ultimatemotorcycling.com and tell us briefly about your bike. We'd love to hear from you. You and I have known each other a long time, actually. We've, uh, we haven't ridden that much together. Right. But I've ridden enough with you especially down some of those tight twisty roads what was the bike you had before it was a yamaha mt10 wasn't it yeah well fz10 i had the one year it was the fz10 right yeah and i think that was the one i followed you down westlake boulevard on the really tight twisty section yeah and without without blowing too much smoke i have to say you're one of the best riders i've seen certainly that i know on that tight twisty stuff the way you get the bike turned is really awesome oh thank you did you you how, where did you learn that was that from dirt bikes you've got a lot of dirt bike history haven't you i think well i, I grew up in the midwest where there are no twisty roads uh, <laughs> <laughs> i grew up in the suburbs of chicago uh and yeah riding dirt bikes but in actual dirt not desert um which was a trip when i moved out here and i tried desert racing with our friend sarah um sure you know, I think I developed it out of a, out of necessity. Cause when I moved back out to California in 99, I had a Honda Magna, as you recall, maybe. I um, didn't know you then. I, I, I didn't know okay. you. In yeah. I can't remember. I, I think when I met you, I had Sarah's old VFR 750. That was it. Yes, you yeah. did. Yeah. So that, that was the bike that I replaced the Magna with because I had ground off two sets of foot pegs and <laughs> hammered the, the headers flat into a V shape going down Latigo and stuff like that. And so I think I developed a very smooth style of trying to keep up with people on that Magna, which was a great bike, but not a great Canyon bike, you know, as a cruiser. Right. And at right. some point I was like, I just need something sportier. This isn't the right bike for the job. Of right. The way I'm riding out here in Illinois. It's great. It's flat and, you know, just cruising, but. That's so interesting. You clearly know how to really load the front of a bike. In fact, I seem to remember you telling me that you wear out your front tire before your back tire. It varies up bike to bike. You know, every bike's different. But uh, one, of the, one of the techniques I developed, which still serves me, although not so much on the BMW, but um, I have a habit now, it's a, a muscle memory, of transitioning corner to corner where I will get my braking done early, go into the corner hard, and then right post apex i'll start loading the front brake because on the magna it would stand the bike up front braking would stand the bike up aggressively because the geometry of the bike and so i would use that as a technique to transition side to side i'd hit the apex and then load the front end it would stand the bike up and then i'd ease off the front end and throw it the other way and it would it would help me to transition right to left left to right because i would let the brakes do the work of standing the bike up for me 
And I, I still ride that way all the time. It's just muscle memory. Wow, that's interesting. So when you come off the apex, when normally you should be starting to accelerate, you load the front just to pick the bike up and flip it over. Yeah. So, right. So obviously you don't do that on every corner, but certainly where there are... Right. If it's a tight back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just the thing I developed on the magnet because otherwise you'd never get that thing to change direction. Right. But, you know, a bike like the, the BMW and I had a, a 2018 Goldwing also, which has a similar front end suspension system. Right. You know, they don't, they don't stand up under braking, you know, just like they don't really dive under braking. Right. So it's not really effective on bikes like that. But. Right. Sure. Wow. How interesting. No wonder you wear out the front tires so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a cheap way to ride. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. I've definitely, I, I've definitely followed you a few times and, and you get the bike turned really efficiently. But I, I did that a lot on the VFR 1200 for the same reason, because it's such a heavy bike. Right. You know, to get it to change directions, you have to think ahead a couple seconds so interesting interesting okay so then you then you went from the fz10 and then you went out and bought yourself a new goldwing didn't you i had those simultaneously i had i got the goldwing i had the fz10 and i had a, a ktm 500 exc enduro but uh, due to the kids practicing you know, having sports during the winter season which here in southern california is the riding season for desert um it was just sitting in the garage so i ended up selling it uh, and tried to think of something f fun to get. I already had the sporty bike. So I ended up getting a, a 2018 Goldwing uh, that was good for taking the kids out and, you know, take my wife out for rides because it's FZ10 is a terrible bike for that. Um, yeah. So those were like my two previous bikes to the BMW. And then when I sold the FZ10, that left me with just the Goldwing. And as good as the Goldwing is, as a touring bike and a two up bike, it's a terrible only bike. <laughs> right. Um, so I ended up selling that and looking for, you know, what I thought would be a, an ideal do everything for my kind of riding bike. And it was kind of a toss up between the, the BMW GS and the KTM 1290 Adventure R, which was the more off-road spec KTM. Okay. And, and what made you settle on the BMW? Honestly, you couldn't get a KTM 1290R. They don't exist. Their, uh, their ECUs are made in Ukraine. Um, and as we all know, no one's getting anything out of Ukraine right now. Um, and the inventory had dried up. There were no R's. There were some, some of the street spec ones. I forget if that's the S with the, you know, the aluminum wheels. Right. But that's not the bike I wanted. If I was going to get a, another KTM, I wanted it to be the dirt spec. Right. But honestly, I'm not doing that much dirt anymore. You know, I have a neck injury that kind of precludes doing a lot of really aggressive stuff. So uh, the BMW is probably a better fit. It's just a little lower on power, well, a lot lower on power right. versus the KTM. But, you know, it's still, it still gets out of its own way just fine. So yeah, I'm not a big loss. Right. So was the BMW a big surprise when you first started riding it? Uh. Not a surprise so much. It's different. I've never owned a, a BMW before. I've never owned a boxer uh, engine bike before. Okay. Um, some of the biggest surprises were maybe the negatives about it, but nothing deal breaker, just nitpicky stuff. Right. I, I, I forget how much you told me you paid for it, but it was fairly expensive, I think. Yeah, it's it? 
out, it's brand new and out the door with taxes and everything. I mean, you're, you're pushing close to 30. Wow. With the, 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 it's the 1250 GS adventure. So it's a bit more expensive than the standard GS. Um, but it has things that I wanted in, in the bike. So, you know, and you don't, you can't get a stand unless you order one, uh, specifically, you can't really get a standard GS of any kind, you know, like a bone stock, as they would say, you know, they all come with packages, all the dealers order them with certain packages right out the gate. So if you get one out of inventory, it's going to have whatever they call them, their premier package is going to have the GPS set up on it. It's going to have a bunch of doodads that maybe you wouldn't order if you were ordering one, but you know, there was other, there were issues with that too right now because there's a chip shortage. Um, the bikes that were inventory when I got my bike were the last to be in that have the LED headlights, the adaptive LED headlights. Uh, some of the last to have the electronic suspension, the ESA, they call it. Um, so bikes, if you were to go in and order one, you could get one built exactly how you want it, except it wouldn't have the LED headlights and it wouldn't have the ESA. So okay. I, I wanted I wanted those features. So I, I moved fast with selling my Goldwing and, and getting this bike out of inventory, which is the rally spec GS adventure. Right. Nice. So so what are your what are your thoughts on it? Is it does it have the sort of the performance? I, I've, I mean, I've got different friends and some of which, you know, who mm -hmm. ride that thing fast. I mean, it's a hell of a capable machine. Oh, it, very capable. Um, and my bike has, uh, I think, a little under 3,000 miles. I've only had it a couple months. But it's the engine starting to wake up. It's starting to make, you know, power. <laughs> well, they say it's broken. And, you know, you do your brake in at like 600 miles or something like that. Um, but it really didn't start to wake up until about 1,500 miles. Uh, but now that it's there, you know, it'll, it'll loft the front end on command if you want it to. Um, it, it's definitely faster than it feels. It's one of those bikes where you, you get on the gas on the freeway to pass someone and you look down and you're approaching triple digits and it really doesn't feel like it because it's such a big, big bike. And plus it's tall as well. I mean, obviously the, the height helps with the, uh, yeah. you know the impression and that's one of the things i wanted about the adventure i wanted the extra inch of suspension travel i wanted the higher seating position i wanted the larger fuel tank the, the salesman actually tried talking me into the standard gs you know oh it's more nimble it's better at the track and i'm like i just came <laughs> off an fz10 this isn't a track bike <laughs> you know it's <laughs> right you know, it's a six you know, whatever it is 600 pounds 590 pounds something like that um yeah, I think the the adventure is five ninety, and the the standard is like five fifty. Right, right. So it's not a light bike. Do you actually like it? I mean, what what do you? I love it. I mean, it's like I said, I, I'll nitpick because you know you spend that kind of money. There's things you expect, um, right. but the Goldwing spoiled me in certain ways, and so you know I nitpick on things in that direction too. But it's it is a fantastic bike. I, I have no complaints there's nothing that i'd say oh i wouldn't get this bike again because of x y or z it's it's a great bike it's very comfortable okay uh even with a stock seat you know and everyone's butt is different but for me i find it very comfortable for for long days um the range is outstanding you know i can get 350 ish miles on a tank wow that's pretty serious yeah you know i'm still on the stock <laughs> i'm still on the stock dual sport tires i think they're carews or something like that or anarchies i don't remember but, you know, they, okay. they hold the road just fine. I think when I put street-oriented tires on it, it's just going to be even better. 
so what is what has sort of impressed you most about it uh i think it's versatility uh, on the whole it's it's kind of everything i hoped it would be in that regard it's um like i said it's the range it's comfort it's got a lot of creature comforts that i like you know it's got heated grips it's got heated seat uh for me on the passenger which my goldwing had and i really liked um the kids loved having the heated seat on the back and they would have missed it if i didn't have it yeah it's you know it integrates well with the comms in my helmet you know it's it handles really well it makes good power it it's torquey you know i i'm not a peak i don't want to cruise around at 8000 rpm all day right you know it's one of the things like i said i was looking between this and the ktm you know i like the twin i like the way twins make power and torque down low and you don't have to run them out um it's one of the things i'll say this this is a bike i've never said this before this is a bike that could probably use a seventh gear you know because it makes so much torque down low that if you want to cruise if i was to go on a cross-country tour on this bike which i would do in a heartbeat um i don't know if i'd want to be cruising this bike at 5,000, 6,000 rpm all day which is where you'd be at 80, 85 miles an hour. Um, just be, just because it makes the power down low. Like you could even easily take another gear and sit at, at 3000 RPM all day long. And this bike would just chug along happily. <laughs> That's really impressive. So in, in terms of handling, what, what are your thoughts there? It's, it's good. It's, coming from the Goldwing, it's not as shocking as I was expecting because everyone talks about how you don't feel the front end on the the paralever or tie i forget which one's the front the paralever the telelever they have their own names right but, you know people say you don't really feel the front end on these bikes the way you do on a standard you know fork suspension right and that's true um i had gotten used to it with a goldwing because it's the same thing and that's a much heavier less handling bike um but it, it handles just fine i haven't found the limits anywhere near the limits you know, it's a wide bike. It's got those big cylinders and crash bars sticking out there. I don't know how close I am to touching them ever. <laughs> Probably not very. <laughs> but it's a concern. You know, if I'm not, if I try throwing the thing around like I did the FC10, I guarantee I would scrape something hard that doesn't move. And that keeps me from pushing hard. You know, I may end up doing a track day uh, this coming season just to kind of get a feel for what it'll do in a safe environment, you know. But so you're not actually sort of grinding the pegs yet or anything. No, I've, I haven't touched anything hard on it. And it's funny because they have a, they have their own connected app that you can look at your ride after you get home and it'll, the GPS tracks everywhere you went, shows you what your lean angles were, what your throttle position was, if your ABS kicked on, if traction control kicked on. Wow. Um, and I think I, I don't think I've ever banked it harder than like 46 or 48 degrees. I think it was like the most I've ever leaned it over that's still respectable yeah but like i said i'm not trying to race the thing but there's you know the roads around here there's places where you go down a canyon and just to get around a corner you've got to be <laughs> pretty far all right doesn't mean you're going fast you can be doing it at eight miles an hour yeah interesting so what are the nitpicks that you don't love about it probably the 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 primary one is the transmission um i've i've watched video of the BMW Motorrad factory, them assembling bikes. And it's such a state-of-the-art facility. And then you ride the thing. And I can say honestly, without reservation, it is the clunkiest transmission of any bike I've ever owned. <laughs> <laughs> right. It really is. It really is like a tractor of a transmission. John Deere. <laughs> I don't know. It, it literally, it feels a lot like 
you know, the few Harleys that I've ridden, it feels very similar to a Harley Davidson transmission where it's just a, sometimes it grinds a little, sometimes it's a ka-chunk when you grab a gear. It's just, it is just not a smooth transmission. Transmission. I've had countless Hondas, uh, KTMs, a handful of Yamahas, Kawasaki's, and they've all shifted relatively like butter compared to this thing. Wow. That's I wonder what the heck it is. So even in like the, the taller gears? No, not the, you know, not the taller gears. And if you're very careful, you can get smooth shifts 90% of the time. Right. But especially in the lower gears, there's, it's really hard to get a clean, just click shift. You know, it's always something, some kind of a, you know, you've shifted gears. <laughs> um, it has a quick shifter and above first gear, as long as you're hard on the throttle, it shifts relatively smoothly. It actually works better for downshifting, you know, coming up to a corner. Interesting. But, uh, but yeah, that's probably my biggest nitpick would be the transmission. And the rest is just creature comfort stuff that it doesn't have that it should maybe, or things that at this price point you think it should have. Yeah, such as? It has this beautiful TFT display. It doesn't support Apple CarPlay or Android Auto. Uh, which seems silly you know the Goldwing had it and it was brilliant because you can use you know you can use ways to get where you're going you can use your own music apps you can all do all this stuff and they have that really brilliant uh, little jog wheel on the handlebar that right. you can control stuff with and they could integrate that in such a, a beautiful way they just don't they're like nope we're going to use our own navigation app and you will use that and you will use the BMW Nav 6 so you can use your hand controls which I don't use because it's garbage by, right. you know, so I have a phone mount. I hook my phone up and I still have ways if I want it. I have a, it's a newer, less integrated Garmin Navi move. I don't know what it's called. <laughs> I'm spacing on it at the moment, but it's, you know, it's mounted in the same place as their, the Nav 6 from BMW, which is also made by Garmin, but it's an older unit that breaks a lot. Um, so I didn't spend the, I think $800 they want for that unit. You know, they, they put the package on the bike that preps it and it gives you a cradle. Right. You can just plug it in. And then they want to sell you the $800 unit to actually put in the cradle. You know, so for half that, I got a more recent Garmin Navigator that uh, just works better. It's just, just not integrated with the controls of the bike. Because the, the Nav 6, I'm sure you know this, the Nav 6 lets you like monitor all your bike stuff from the from the gps right and you can control it all with the handlebar controls but i don't i don't really care about any of that but you know for me if it had if it had apple integration or, or android integration that would be a huge step up um, right. another is there's so many controls on the handlebars including things like your uh driving lights fog lights that come on the bike there's a button on the left mirror stock for that right and at night can't see any of that none of the controls are backlit which on most bikes they're not but like on a Goldwing, they are <laughs> you know so this is a big thirty thousand dollar touring bike and when it's dark out you can't see where any of your controls are and there's a lot of them to know by feel like oh that's where this is that's where this is right interesting so it just seems like for the money that's you know a little bit of an oversight especially if bmws are sort of the gadget king aren't they really yeah but like you say, probably coming from the Goldwing, which is sort of the ultimate, perhaps that's not a good comparison. 
if you've been coming if you've been coming from anything else you'd be like wow this thing is awesome <laughs> yeah and it, and it is like i said it's i have no complaints these are just right the nitpicks sure there's things i still haven't figured out fully how to use it has the hill assist and that has modes it has a manual mode an auto mode i think i have it in auto mode and sometimes it'll kick on the brakes automatically sitting at a light and you like go to leave and it doesn't want to go because the brakes are locked <laughs> and it takes a second <laughs> there's little things like that and i'm sure that's user error i just haven't it hasn't bothered to, to learn it right interesting <laughs> but other i mean like i said all around it's just a fan it's a fantastic all-around bike yeah and coming from a sport bike and a touring bike i cannot think of a better bike that kind of meets the middle of those two yeah. Do you have any uh, regrets about buying the adventure version rather than just the street version? Oh, absolutely not. No, 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 no regrets there at all. Are, are you planning to to take it on, do some off-road stuff on it? Probably not a lot of off-road. I mean, I might, maybe next year I'll do the LA Barso to Vegas, do the adventure route. I've, I swept that ride for years uh, on my KTM and my XR650 before that. Right. I might do it next year, do the adventure route just for fun. But no, it's not. It's not a dirt bike. I don't care what the BMW guys say. It's not a dirt bike. You, you shouldn't be able to tip over a dirt bike and do ten grand in damage. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, if you, if that thing falls up, <laughs> I've seen guys clip a tree with a handlebar, and the bike cartwheels and it's totaled. I mean, the beak is gone, the windshield's gone, the bars are gone, the tank's destroyed, the tail's bent. All right. That, that shouldn't be possible on a quote-unquote dirt bike i i appreciate guys that are willing to go out and do crazy stuff on their bikes but it's a very capable touring bike that you can take off road if you need to or you really want to but i wouldn't i don't look at it as something like oh i'm gonna take this out in the desert next weekend and go play around <laughs> right yeah yeah no i think you're right there it's sort of a a good fire road bike you know if you get into a for sure get into these situations and of course you know the sort of you and mcgregor charlie boorman type things where you know you're riding on a lot of roads that aren't even paved it's probably pretty good at that yeah it's excellent at that i did that on the first full day i owned i went up to the carrizo flats up there or whatever rode around you know, it's funny you were asking you're asking about the standard gs and i i didn't actually even ride one of those oh really it's funny because there's so much misinformation about the differences between the bikes. You know, I think a lot of people assume they're basically the same bike and one just has a bigger tank. Right. You know, in the extra suspension, but they're geometry wise, they're actually different bikes. They have a different wheelbase, different rake and trail. Oh, I didn't know that. And, you know, I think they just handle different. The standard GS has a slightly, I want to say a longer wheelbase, not by much. It's like by an inch or something like that, but it also has, more rake and trail so a shallower steering angle with more trail so it's probably a more stable high speed bike like on the road whereas the adventure even though it's more top heavy it's got a steeper steering angle slightly shorter wheelbase less trail which makes it a little bit more maneuverable at lower speed yeah interesting okay but I mean, very slight differences. Even though you're really not going to ride it off-road at all, you you still feel that, you know, buying the ADV model was the best way to go. For sure. Um, again, I like I like the extra suspension travel. I like sitting up higher. Um, and I love the range. I, I rode out to uh, Wildwood. Right. 
you know, from my house in Moore Park, I rode out to Wildwood, messed around in the mountains out there for like 45 minutes and then rode home, you know, all via the crest. And I got home, I still had like 120 miles of range left. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. And at gas prices, it's only like $60 to fill it up. I know. The first time I put more than $40 in a motorcycle, I thought I was going to pass out. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's great. So has the wife or the kids tried the tried the back of it yet? Do they like it? They've all ridden. Actually, I don't know. If, I don't know if my wife has been on the back. Yes, I did take her for a quick ride. Um, the kids have been on it. Okay. My son thinks it's a little scary, <laughs> but he likes it. But my daughter loves it. Like she's always, she wants me to like take her to school on it and stuff, which I can't do because right. you know, I have to be able to haul her helmet back and she has a backpack and it won't all fit in the top box. So, you know, right. But yeah, she loves it. She's, she's my, uh, she's my riding partner. If I ever want to go on like a long ride, uh, as long as I promise that I'll feed her at some point, she's in, she's in for like a three hour excursion. Yeah. It's funny how some of them just take to it. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So overall, really, it sounds like just a fantastic bike with a clunky gearbox, but beyond that, still a fantastic bike. Yeah, and clunky is maybe a bit harsh. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's just, you know, again, you come, from, you come from a line of Hondas, which I would argue have probably the best transmissions in the business. You know, that's my benchmark. Everything is like a, a Honda VFR transmission is my benchmark for like a great transmission right you know the yamaha wasn't as smooth as, as the honda but it was still smoother than this yeah the only other real issue that i have a complaint i suppose it would be would be that bmw no longer will even sell you a service manual for this bike they are insisting all services be done at their dealership for life and they charge a fortune for service I think the 600 mile service was about that many dollars. Wow. Uh, and I'm told the full service with valves and everything is probably double that. So you're looking over a thousand dollars for a service. Holy mackerel. Yeah. It's, it's cheaper to buy the tools and do it yourself. So we'll see maybe while it's under warranty, I'll let them do the service, but you know, it's not rocket science because of the shift cam. You have to have a special cam alignment tool. Uh, you have to have a special cam chain tensioner tool. Uh, and then other than that, I mean, God, it's a boxer. You couldn't get more easy to work on. Right. Compared to doing the valves on a VFR 1200 <laughs> with shim under bucket facing away from you into a steering head. Right. You know, this is cakewalk. But it's a, yeah, it's a great bike. It really is. Good. So it sounds like you might keep it for a while. I better. <laughs> I better. It cost, cost as much as my last pickup truck. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I plan on having this one for a while. So, okay. yeah, I don't have any complaints. You know, there's little things I may add down the road. You know, if, if I do LAV to V, I'll probably have to add a, a real skid plate, maybe real hand guards, you know, not the little plastic wind guards that they have, but actual. Sure. You know, we'll see. Again, I don't consider it a dirt bike. I don't plan on going enduro crazy on the thing. It's for me, it's more just a touring bike that sits up high and is comfortable and can play in the canyons. And right. Like I say, the Goldwing, great for certain things, but, you know, the Malibu, you know, Santa Monica Mountains and Grimes Canyon, not exactly ideal. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Of course. Anytime. All right. Thanks, Arthur. All right. See you. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.